I can remember back when I was, uh, I think it was an introduction to psychology class, Brandon, and the professor said that we should be careful about telling people what they should do or what they ought to do. And when we put too many shoulds and oughts on people, uh, it burdens them and it burdens us. Then I became a preacher, and my whole life is about telling people what they should not do. To, to do. So, <laughs> this evening, uh, in Acts chapter 8, we're jumping out of our series that we've been in on Wednesday nights tonight, a special service. We're going to look at some things that we should be doing. Now, we're ordaining tonight uh, three men to the ministry. I told them to sit down front, and they already they're disobeying me, aren't they? Uh, they're here somewhere. Jeremy, raise your hands. Jeremy, what, Lance, and Justin. Where did you, there's Justin over there? And six men to our deacon body. Six men. Uh, Tom, would you raise your hand? And Sterling, uh, Casey, number one, and Casey, number two. There's the other Casey, and I've got some more. Who did I leave out? That was one, two, three, four. Jack. And I've got, and, and John Allen, where is John? John, John you are really disobedient, aren't you? Way there uh, in the, the far back. But I'm going to, I want to tell these guys tonight some things they should do, but it's not just for deacons or for ministers. Uh, the things in this passage are things that every Christian should be doing. Every, things that every Christian, uh, who's, people that say they follow Christ, should be about. Before we jump into it, I want to give you the background. We're going to look in verse 4 through 8 tonight, but verse 1 through 3 set the story, the, set the stage of the story in a very powerful context. It says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. They just murdered Stephen. Saul later becomes who? Paul. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, and they mourned deeply for him. But Paul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them into prison. Literally, when it says he began to destroy the church, literally, it meant a brutal persecution. It was literally the picture of a rabid man. It was like a, a boar hog that gets loose in the vineyard, just destroying everything that got in his way is, is what was happening. In other words, if you were a Christian, times were really tough. And let me give you a hint. I think that that's going to be true in America in the days ahead. In fact, I already believe it's true in many, many, many parts of our world. I believe it's, it's true in parts of America, and I believe it's going to be. And, and, you know, there's no saying my dad used to say when he was trying to get me to do something I didn't want to do. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And that certainly is true about what Christians should be about. So let me share with you four things tonight that deacons, Christians, ministers should be about, and when times get tough, it ought to make it, it ought to ramp it up in our lives, not back it down. Number one, share Jesus everywhere you are and everywhere you go. Let the world know about your Jesus everywhere you are and everywhere you go. In verse 4, it says, those who had been scattered, that biblical word scattered is like someone that was sowing grass seed, not marijuana, Bermuda, 
uh, you know, in the old days, just casting it anywhere with their hands. They were scattered. I mean, they, they, there wasn't a lot of rhyme and reason. There were people running for their lives, is what it amounted to. And they preached the word wherever they went. Now, I know, I know what some of you Christians are thinking right there. This, that's for preachers. That's preaching. That's preaching. Let me tell you, you're wrong there. That word preach means to evangelize. It means to proclaim the good news. It means to declare the gospel. The word word there is the word, great word logos, which means the, the word. It's talking about Jesus, the gospel message, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's neat if you're taking notes. In Matthew 28, 19, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Literally, that means as you're going to make disciples and baptize. In other words, everywhere you go, you win people to Christ, and then you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Listen, when the heat got on, you know what they did? They were running, but the whole time they were running, they were telling everybody they bumped into about Jesus. Isn't that great? And the hero of this story, I hate to admit it, it's not a preacher. It's a deacon. It's a deacon. The guy we're going to see tonight, Philip, was a deacon. And I want to tell you deacons this evening, you need to be telling people about your Jesus. And if you're going to be in the ministry, you ought to love telling people about your Jesus. That's, that's your calling. And if you're a Christian, I want to tell you, you need to be telling people about Jesus. Everywhere they went, as they were scattered, as they were running for their lives, they were telling people about Jesus. Listen, get off this. This, this silliness that, that sharing my faith is not my gig. Sharing my faith is not my gift. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says sharing your faith is a gig or a gift. Listen, if you, if you have Jesus, I'm going to tell you something hard. If you have Jesus, you're going to want to share him with other people. The reason a lot of people in churches don't share Jesus is they don't have Jesus. They have Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholicism. But when you get Jesus in you, he wants to come out of you. You ever notice that? Can you imagine if you had cancer and you found the cure for cancer and telling people, well, I just don't want to offend other cancer victims and tell them about the cure. I don't want to push the cure on other people. Wouldn't you say that'd be ridiculous? Wouldn't you say that person ought to go to prison? Sure they should. If you got Jesus, man, your sins are forgiven, you got a home in heaven, and God lives in you here today, shouldn't you want to get that out of you? Amen. You should. You know what it really took to get the people going, though? This is going to scare you. It took persecution. There's, a, there's an old saying. This is worth writing down. I don't know who said it originally, but it's great. It says, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. The blood of other Christians is what got the church spreading. And it may take the government coming down on us before we'll wake up and we'll start sharing Jesus as we should. You new deacons, you ministers, all of us, let's share Jesus everywhere we are and anywhere we go. Here's the second thing. Be a unifier of people. Be a person who brings people 
together. In verse 5 it says, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and he proclaimed the Christ there. Now boy, this to us this may not seem like a lot. This isn't Philip the apostle. This is Philip the deacon from Acts chapter 6. It's a deacon. I want to remind you of that. And he says he goes to a city in Samaria. Some translation says he goes to the city of Samaria. I want to show you on a map to, to help you make some sense of this. There was actually a city called Samaria. In Jesus' day, what, what we think of as Palestine was divided into three areas. You had Judea down here, and there's Jerusalem. It's hard for me to see it. That's, I believe, Bethlehem, the Dead Sea. Jerusalem's right in here. And then the Jewish people occupied Judea in Jesus and Paul's time. Galilee is up here. This is where the Sea of Galilee is in Nazareth where Jesus grew up. But in between here was Samaria. And I'm going to explain this in a moment. The, the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other, and Samaria divided their country. A lot of times when a, a, a Jewish person living in Galilee wanted to come to Jerusalem, they would actually take a long route, go, go across the Jordan River down here to bypass even having to go through Samaria. They hated each other. And it was a hatred that went back seven over 700 years. Some of you got to burn a saddle that's been going on for 10 years. They had to burn their saddle. It was over 700 years old. What happened, and I'll try to simplify this, basically, a bunch of the Jewish people, 700 years earlier, had been invaded, and, and the Assyrians had taken them back to their country, and they'd intermarried there, and then they, they, they let them come back to that part of the world, and they intermarried with other people. And the people in which were now Judea, and Galilee were pure, most impure Jewish people. And for a Jewish person, even today, an Orthodox strict Jew would not marry a non-Jew. That'd be a big no-no. And so when, when you had these people who were half-Jews, the Jewish people considered them half-breeds. They hated them. The Samaritans even had their own temple. They'd built about 300 years before Christ at a place in Samaria. They wouldn't come to Jerusalem and worship, so that really infuriated the Jewish people. The Samaritans said, hey, we believe the Old Testament, the first five books, just like you do. We worship God and believe Moses was the greatest prophet ever. So the, the, the Jewish people, listen, a Samaritan could not even convert to Judaism if they wanted to. They hated each other, and, and you can imagine the hatred would be mutual. You got to be one big person when people hate you, then you don't hate them back. Most people aren't that way. And so when it says that Philip went to Samaria to preach the gospel, you're just saying, oh, that's pretty cute. That's neat. That he, Philip was on a mission trip. No, he wasn't. First of all, he was running for his life. Everywhere he's going, he's sharing Jesus. And he comes to enemy territory, where, by the way, Jesus spent some good time. And and when he gets there, he starts telling these people how they can be saved. And you see what God's doing. It took persecution to get them to do what they should be doing. God is now helping the Jewish people see that God didn't just love Jewish people. He's helping the Jewish Christians see God didn't just love Jewish Christians. That God loves everybody. Jews, non-Jews, and even the stinking Samaritans. He loves them too. And here's this deacon that's not only evangelizing, but listen, he's being a bridge builder. He's unifying people. He's bringing together different people who become one person in Jesus Christ. Deacons, you need to be a unifier. 
You ministers, you better be unifiers. And every Christian here, God has called you to be a unifier. Let's talk about the church first of all. The ugliest things that you can see is infighting in a church. By the way, the church is never going to be destroyed from the outside. The church is always destroyed from the inside. You never, never forget that. I saw Wayne sent me this today. It was from Tom Rayner, the president of Lifeway. I, I didn't have time to print it, but, but they were funny, but some of them were terribly sad. Real reason churches have had splits. One of them was they, were, they got in a fight in a church business meeting over whether to build a children's building or a new cemetery on the property right next to the church. You know, if you build the cemetery instead of the children's building, you probably are saying that we are a mausoleum ourselves, aren't you, at that point? Find another place for the cemetery would be my, my advice. I mean, it's crazy things like that. They, they, they got in an argument about, uh, in some church about the, the, the worship leader's beard was too long. How, I think in the Bible it says it can't be over 12 inches from the chin, doesn't it? But I'm saying this to say that the churches get in trouble over the silliest things. Deacon, you're a servant. Pastors, ministers, you're a servant leader. Unify people. I think too, I, and this is this certainly the racism and the prejudice among the Jewish people and the Samaritans was so so real. And, and I'm going to tell you, I, it's, it breaks my heart in America. I think we are re-entering some tense racial times. It's terrible. Cindy and I were watching the news about three months ago. And you see white people who don't like black people and black people who don't like white people and white people who don't like Hispanics and Hispanics who don't like uh, African Americans. And I just told Cindy, I said, you know what? We're not going to participate in the racism and the prejudice. Amen? A church can't if it's going to be the church of Christ. <laughs> a, a deacon can't if they're a deacon for Jesus Christ. A minister can't if they're a minister of Jesus Christ. By all means, we've got to be people who bring people together. Let them fight it out somewhere else. But man, we're going to be people who love everybody. Stand on truth, but we love everybody. Man, deacons, I challenge you. You be peacemakers. You be unifiers. Christian, be a peacemaker. Be a unifier. I want to give you a third thing. What we should do, we should bring the power of God into your world. Bring God's power to wherever you are and whatever you're about and whatever you're doing. In verse 6 and 7, it says, When the crowds heard Philip and they saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out, many, uh, many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed that day. Wow, what, what an unbelievable thing. God was at work. Miracles. What do you think about miracles? You like them? I thought this was pretty neat. Several years ago, there was a, a massive survey done of Americans... And they ask Americans, do you believe that miracles are probable? Secular sliding America, 80% said they're probable. 
They can happen. That number was 20% higher than it was 20 years ago. Wow. We're, we're going in a bad direction, but we realize we need something we don't have, don't we? 75% of people said that at some time in their life they prayed to God for a miracle for themselves or for someone else. Does God still do miracles like he did here uh, in Samaria? Some people say he doesn't. There's a theological belief called cessationism built around the, that word cease, which says that at the end of the first century, God ceased to do miracles. Whew. I'd hate to know that. Somebody comes up and says, pray for me, man. I'm not feeling good. Nope, can't do it. You're going to die. <laughs> well, truth is, you're going to. But if you don't believe God does miracles anymore, you shouldn't pray for anybody to be healed. You got a headache, take Tylenol and just go to bed. Don't ask God to do anything about it because he can't anymore. Baloney is the Greek word for that. Now, the other extreme is, is that we can name it and claim it, and God's got to do it. I can tell you, I can pray real hard that there's a Mercedes in that Nissan parking place when I leave here. But you know what? There's going to be a Nissan in that place. I, I, I believe that. I, I believe that. <laughs> there's a balance there. There's a balance there. But friend, don't sell the power of God short. God, God is still God. And, and the reason a lot of times God's not doing anything is because of who we are, not because of who he is. We're so sinful and we don't pray. We're not full of the Holy Spirit. We wonder why we don't see God work. God's not a magician who shows up when, when we ask him to. You don't rent the favor and power of God. Be amazing how much more we'd see God work and answers to prayers in miraculous ways if we would be the deacons, the ministers, and the Christians that God has called us to be. Amen? I want to tell you this too. I believe in Samaria and even parts of our world today, they see some more miraculous things than we do because those people need a clear validation that God is real. I think those Samaritans needed to see some validation that this Jewish guy really did care about us and this Jewish Jesus really is God. And they were seeing it, weren't they? You know, I don't think I've ever I've prayed and laid hands on someone and seen them instantaneously healed. I've prayed for people and seen them healed. Absolutely, I've prayed for people and I've done their funeral. But I know this, I can bring the power of God and so can you. Any place you go if you're walking with God. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, it's just not as, um, it's not as uh, it doesn't shout as loud as, a, as an outward miracle, but look what it says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. Though it's called the fruit of the Spirit. That's nine qualities that God says when, you, when you're saved and when you're living for Him, they, they are in you and they come out of you. I want to tell you, if you bring the fruit of the Spirit everywhere you go, you bring the power of God everywhere you go. Pray for an outward miracle, but be who you should be. I want to tell you, when you're sharing Jesus, when you're unifying people, and you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you bring the power of God with you. You deacons, you know what we need? We need you to sign up for the Lord's Supper when we have it. Instead of making my secretary have to call you and beg you to do it. Amen?
But even more importantly than that, we need you to bring the power of God to this church. And you ministers, you better be bringing the power of God with you. You better bring it. And every Christian here, we should. These are things we should do. Let me give you one last thing. Isn't that the favorite thing people like to hear in a sermon? I didn't say in closing. I said one last thing. You should make things better. Boy, this is simple, but man, this is important. (laughs) That's an understatement. Verse 8, so there was great joy in the city. That word joy means rejoicing, cheering, exalting. Philip comes to an enemy people, and they knew each other by probably how they, the physical differences. They knew by their accents. They knew that this was not one of ours. He comes to an enemy people. He shares Christ. He shows no prejudice. He brings the power of God. And I want to tell you, Philip's not going to be here long, but when he left, things were better. You're taking notes. I want you to write this down. Here's here's one definition of great leadership. I don't know who said it, but it is so true. One definition of great leadership. It's so simple. Great leaders make things better. Isn't that simple? Great leaders make things better. They make their church better. They make their workplace better. They make their home better. They make their friends better. Great people lift the tide. You deacons, God is calling you to make this church better. Not bitter, not worse, not to sink, but to fly. He's calling you to make it better. You ministers, wherever you are, God's calling you to make that place better happier, more joyful. Bring God into it. I read a lot. I read a lot about leadership. A lot of it confuses me, and I've been reading it for 30 years. You read the definition of vision. There's 84 definitions of vision. I know this. I know if you're making it better, you're a good leader. Elizabeth Dole, some of you know her. Her husband was Bob Dole, is Bob Dole. Uh, famous American politician. Her, she tells about her grandmother going into the nursing home when she was in her mid-90s. Grandmother still had her, her mental facilities, but her physically she was going down. She said, here's what her grandmother said. She went to the nursing home. She said, I'm going to tell people in that nursing home about Jesus because there's old people in here like me who are lost. I'm going to read the Bible to those who can't read because their eyes have, have gone bad. I'm going to serve people who need to be served. In other words, what she was saying is I'm going to bring the power of God. And even in the nursing home, the last years of my life, I'm going to make things better at the nursing home. Amen. Deacons, that's what God's calling you to do. Minister, that's what God's calling you to do. I don't know what to do. Pick up a broom, help out, make it better. You don't make it better by criticizing, by griping, by complaining, by sitting back and pointing out everything that's wrong. Yes, help us see what we need to improve. Amen. But make us better by what you do. Make it better, guys and girls. Make it better. I saw recently, it was a part of an internet blog It was saying that this was the shortest obituary ever. A guy named Douglas Legger had died. And the obituary simply read, 
Ed died. You know, it's funny, but it's really sad, isn't it? I thought about that this afternoon. I thought about my six new deacons and my three ministers. I thought about everybody who was going to be here. Not all you personally, individually, but I thought about this group. I thought, you know what? You don't want to die and your obituary say, Chris died. That's it. Wouldn't it be good if your obituary could say, this man, this woman shared Jesus? This man or this woman unified people? This man or this woman brought the power of God every place they went? And I'd sure love it to say about me, this man or this woman, I don't want them to say this woman about me, I sure want them to be able to say they made it better. And you know what? Every one of those things is high bar and very obtainable. So here's what I want to do. I want to pitch it to you. I want to say tonight, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you don't know if you have a relationship with Christ, maybe you know you don't. When we stand in a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to find Jesus. You need that more than you need anything else. You come, be a minister down here, we'll help you with that decision. Maybe not you'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to. One way you can do that, you can do it after church, or you can do it tonight when we stand, you can come and join us. You deacons, you ministers, we'll say to you first, I hope you swallowed what I pitched to you, because it's straight from the book. I plagiarized it. From Jesus. (laughs) Do these things. You other Christians out here this evening, I pray that wherever you need to repent in these areas, you will, and that you'll make a commitment, whether it's where you're standing or at the altar in a moment, to say, God, help me to do the things I should do till you take me home. Let's stand. God leads you. You step out. We'll be waiting on you down here at the altar.